Internet Brand Strategist, Sandra Beck, interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and we've got such a great show today. We're going to be talking about audiobooks. And for those of you that like audiobooks, great. If you've never listened to an audiobook, these guys have some really great books, a good place to start. We're visiting today with the website is andrewswilson.com, A-N-D-R-E-W-S hyphen W-I-L-S-O-N.com. They've got some great books. They've got, um, they've got the Sons of War series. They've got, um, gosh, you guys have 10 books on Audible. And this is really important because half a million readers have listened to these guys and they were the number one Amazon best-selling series. So they know a little bit about not only creating great works, but also creating great audiobooks. And there's a difference between the two. So for those of you budding authors out there who are thinking of making either a traditional book or an audiobook, this is a great show for you because these guys have it dialed in. Now, I'm going to go to uh, to Jeff first. Can you introduce yourself to our audience so they know who they're listening to? Absolutely. I'm a Jeff Wilson, one half of the Andrews Wilson brand. Um, I've been a writer for all of my life, but uh, been doing novels only for the last few years uh, and been a co-author with Brian for the last four or five years. So I'm a Navy veteran, as is Brian, um, but I'm just happy to be with you again. I've always enjoyed talking to you, Sandra. It's always a delight. Yeah. Now, let's. what's your educational background? Uh, well, I'm a physician by education, so I went to uh, William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, got my bachelor's degree, and um, did some other things for a number of years. Uh, worked as a pilot, I've worked as an actor, I've uh, done all kinds of different things. And then eventually I went to medical school at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Virginia uh, and trained in general and vascular surgery before 9 11. Uh, and when that happened, it kind of upset me. So like a lot of people, I went, in my case, I went back into the Navy. I had served before. Uh, and then in the Navy, I was a combat surgeon with the Marines first and eventually with uh, Naval Special Warfare deploying with an East Coast-based SEAL team. Very nice. Very nice. And Brian, how about you? Navy veteran. And I served in the uh, submarine community. So I attended uh, Vanderbilt for my undergrad. I was an ROTC guy. And uh, after graduating, went into the submarine force and became a nuclear engineer and uh, a squid. We got all kinds of nicknames for the submarine guys they call us. Uh, squid is one of them. So uh, yeah, endearing nicknames, of course. So I did um, a tour on a fast attack submarine in the Pacific. And uh, after I did my, my tour, I got out and went to Cornell and uh, got my MBA. And while I was there, I participated in a really fantastic program called the Park Leadership uh, Fellows Program. And it's all about uh, servant leadership and, and bringing, um, you know, the experiences that you have from whether it's business or time in the military or nonprofit arena, you, really taking those uh, experiences and finding a way to um, 
not just lead, but also give back. And, and that term servant leadership, I think is, is important. And that's something that we try to incorporate into our characters in, in our books. And I think that that helped, uh, you know, prepare me for, for, uh, you know, a career in storytelling. Well, and I think you guys have had also some really pretty amazing experiences that you bring to your to your books. And how much of it is made up and how much of it is loosely based on your experiences? We got a giggle out of a Jeff on that one. Well, I mean, because, you know, I think every good writer incorporates themselves and their life experience into their writing. So, you know, we'll, we'll begin by saying for operational security reasons, everything we write is fiction. You know, we would never give away national secrets. You know, both of us have served in communities that uh, have a high degree of, uh, you know, clandestine nature to them. And we would never betray any of that stuff. So, you know, there's nothing that is secret that we're giving away. But that being said, the characters that we write, the storylines that we write, obviously, we try very hard to incorporate, you know, our joint rich backgrounds into those stories and into the characters. I will tell you that the characters uh, in particular, our books being very character driven, those characters are amalgams of people we've served with, uh, people we've both liked and disliked and uh, uh, admired. So um, definitely there's a huge amount of reality in our books, um, but the storylines are fiction and the, you know, the tech and stuff like that we fictionalize for operational security reasons. Well, that makes sense. I mean, so when you guys come up with an idea, do you, do you think, wow, this is going to make a great audio book? This is going to make a great, you know, physical book? Like, or do you just, like, what's the difference? I think uh, that, you mean, like, do you think that we are, are, is the question sort of about whether you craft a book specifically for the audio format? Yeah. Like, is it, do you hear it in your head? Like, is it something like, is there a difference? I don't really know. You know, I just know a good book when I hear it. And sometimes I read a book and then I hear the audio version. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And I think that, you know, when you're, when you're the, the author, you have an idea what these characters sound like. And, you know, part of this, uh, the part of the storytelling uh, element is, you know, wh- what what is the nuance in the way that they communicate? Oh, we're losing. We've lost Brian. We've lost his audio. Uh, Jeff, you want to pick up? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that Brian's right. There's a, there's a lot of nuance in writing um, for an audio book, and you definitely approach it differently. I will tell you that in our case, it's not that we uh, begin by differentiating between oh, well, are we going to focus on the audio? Are we going to focus on the on the Kindle? Are we going to focus on a paperback book? We begin with the story for sure. So we start by saying what's going to make a great story, and we craft the story. But I will tell you that now that audiobook is a huge part of our brand, there's no question that our writing is affected by that. And when we write these books, we definitely are writing them with the audio in mind. And uh, you know, we're, we're blessed to have one of the greatest thriller narrators in the business, Ray Porter, uh, does, has done all of our books uh, and uh, for the Tier 1 series. He's contracted to do the uh, Sons of War as well. Um, and I can tell you that now, you know, a dozen books that we've written together, um, 
I can hear Ray reading certain parts and I know, and so it does definitely affect how I craft things. The other thing is that Brian in particular is a real master at crafting for the audiobooks. And one thing he does is during our revisions and edits, which is where we really start to put that kind of audiobook voice in, he'll read the work out loud. And that gives you a real sense for what it's going to sound like in audio format, because things that you read on the page and hearing them, it is different. There's no question that it's different and you need to be aware of it as a writer. It is very different. And, you know, I'd like to take a moment, you guys, and thank our sponsor today, because without companies like this, we wouldn't be on the air. And we are sponsored today by Audible. And, you know, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, self-development. And every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection. They also get access to the Daily News Digest from the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. And beyond that, there's also some other cool things. They're not just audiobooks, but you've got some other really great products that you can get on there. They've got Audible Originals. They've got, you know, some other uh, guided wellness programs. They've got podcasts. They've got theatrical performances. And they have A-list comedy. You know, who knew? And they have these exclusive Audible Originals you won't find anywhere else. And what's so cool, as we visit with Jeff and Brian today, 10 of their books, 10 of their best-selling thriller books are all on Audible. So if you like what you're listening today with these guys, you're going to want to get copies of their books. You can visit audible.com slash coach talk or text coach talk to 500 500. That's audible.com slash coach talk like our show coach talk radio and audible is spelled a U D I B L E audible.com. Um, Jeff or Brian, who has a list of your books that are currently selling on Audible right now? Well, the entire Tier 1 series is available on Audible. That's uh, five books in the series, the most recent being Red Spectre. First book in that series is Tier 1. Um, and the sixth book in that series is uh, going to be coming out in September. Um, in addition, we have two books uh, under the pseudonym Alex Ryan that are available. Brian's book, Reset. If you like uh, techno thriller with a sci-fi speculative nature, man, that's one of the best books ever. And uh, Ray read that book for him as well. Really, really good book. Can't, can't recommend that one highly enough. But if you go to our web website, andrews-wilson.com, all our books are there and everything you see there is available on Audible. And you guys specialize in military and tech and thriller, right? Yep. For the most part, that's what we do. Um, we've got some other projects we're working on now that we're not quite ready to talk about, but for them, but all of them have that component to it, you know, whether it's the thrust or whether it's uh, just a, you know, a minor component, all of them have some sort of military thing. You write what you know, and, and that's, we always try to incorporate some of that, but yeah, military thrillers is what we do. Covert operations, that sort of thing. We'd love that. So visit audible.com slash coach talk or text coach talk to 500 500. You're going to love these guys. I do want to tell you some really great benefits of your audible membership that you can download these titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. And the app is free and it can be installed on all smartphones and tablets, which means if you're a busy girl like me, you can listen to it after the volleyball game, which I did last night as the coach was yammering on to my 13 year old. I just put in my ear 
AirPods, listen to another chapter in a book, and you can not only uh, nourish yourself intellectually, but you can listen across devices without losing your spot, and that's really cool. And if you can't decide what you want to listen to, don't worry, you can keep your credits up to a year. And if you hate the book, this is what I think is really important. I got a reference for a book to listen to. I got it on audiobook. By the third chapter, I couldn't listen to this guy anymore. He was annoying me. The voice was terrible. I hated everything about this book. So I just went on to Audible and returned it. And then I got a new book, you know, because not every book is going to be right for every listener or every reader or the content might not be something you like. So it was super easy for me to return the book, just like I would go into a bookstore. So you can actually, you know, buy these books without risk. And I really like that. There's also, like I said, you know, podcasts, wellness programs, theatrical performances. You're going to want to get Jeff and Brian's best-selling books on there because they're really good. The guy who narrates them rocks. It's audible.com slash coach talk or text coach talk to 500 500. Now I'm going to go over and see if we've got Brian back. Brian, do we have you back? I hope so. Yay, there we are. We have Brian back. That's awesome. So we were talking a little bit about in the creationary process, you know, you read the book out loud to see the musicality of it. When you're writing, do you hear those words in your head? Do you envision this as an audio book in addition to your traditional writing process? Yeah, I think now that it's impossible for us to write a book without planning for the audio experience. And that, like you said, reading the book out loud is an essential essential component of preparing the manuscript for um, audio. What you find is um, sentences that you write that sound great in your head when you're reading it silently to yourself, when you actually try to read that sentence out loud, a lot of times it becomes a tongue twister or you pick up on, oh, this word, I just used this word or this expression a few sentences earlier. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, there can be this rhyming effect that doesn't sound good or becomes noticeable when you're reading the book. And you also need to think about um, if this narrator is unfamiliar with your genre, is the narrator's interpretation going to change the meaning of what you're trying to convey. So you need to write it in a way that a narrator who might not have served in the military is not going to be tripped up on so many acronyms or military speak that suddenly something that might have sounded very authentic, uh, the way that we, we wrote it, might actually uh, have the opposite effect if, somebody's ha- if the narrator's having trouble with or unfamiliar with Um, the things that the characters are saying. I think that's really fascinating because one of the books that I'm, I'm listening to on audible right now is extreme ownership by uh, Jocko Willing. And I mean, this guy nails it. I mean, it's author read and he is so authentic, especially for me that was, you know, raised in a military family, spent a lot of time in the military. I mean, the guy's name is Jocko. How can you go wrong? But, um, you know, it's a really good book and it's a learning book because, you know, we talk a lot about the different types of books that you can listen to. Now you guys have thrillers in extreme ownership. Um, Jocko, you know, is a self 
narrated book. And it, you know, that gives a lot of flavor. I'm just going to give the, the audible.com slash coach talk or text coach talk to 500, 500, uh, one more time. If you guys want to get your, uh, free book and get your, a free audio book and get your credit to pick out, you know, the title each time a month and two audible originals. Um, but do you guys ever think about narrating your own book? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. Oh, I think we should do it. Not that, um, I mean, Jeff is very modest, but he's, he's very talented. He, he's spent time studying acting and has done some acting, but he also has uh, the ability to do some great impersonations. Whenever I call him out, he, he doesn't like to do them, but he's, he's very talented uh, with the impersonations. And I think that um, it would just be at least fun to try it with one book. We're not going to do it with something like tier one where we have, um, you know, one of the world's best narrators, but it would be fun maybe on a short or something else that we did to give it a try and see if we could bring um, a certain element to it that um, uh, maybe would even take us by surprise. I think it'd be fun to do sometime just as an experiment. I agree. Um, it's just such a risk, you know what I mean? And with busy schedules, we're writing so many books a year now. I think the learning curve is a little intimidating yeah. to me, you know, how to, how to structure it. And, you know, everyone, everyone thinks they can do it, but then you do it and you're like, wow, a lot goes into it. So the, I bet you the time will come when we've got a little bit extra time in between books and we can play around with it. It'd be fun to try. For sure. Well, and I think it's, it's very different. You know, I've, I've been in a couple audio books on audible, um, but I was reading my own piece within a book. So, yeah. and it was a, it was a, a collection of, of essays essentially, you know, about leadership and, and whatever, but I was able to read my own words and it was short versus, you know, somebody who narrates a thriller has to have that inflection, has to get that excitement, has to, you know, know all the vocalizations that go along with it. And I think, you know, in the case of the one book that I returned that made my ears bleed, you know, the the narrator was the author, but he didn't have a really pleasing voice. You know, it was, it wasn't good to listen to. And I think we underestimate the power of these really good audio books with a professional narrator. Now, how much interaction do you guys have with a professional narrator in this scenario? I'm less pretty than limited. you think. Yeah, it's pretty limited, you know? Yeah. We prepare notes for him, but there's no dialoguing with Ray during the recording process. So if he doesn't know how to pronounce something or there's a question, like you talk about these military acronyms, you know, because I think this is like peeking behind, you know, the wizard's curtain to see, you know, what really goes on behind there. What, when you write, I get that you pay attention to the writing process that someone's going to have to read this and make it sound good, but what do you do? Like, do they contact you and say, you know, how do, how do you want this pronounced? Well, so, you know, it's different now because we're working on the sixth book in the series and this other series is a spinoff series. In the very first book we did with Ray, um, first of all, the guy is such a professional. I mean, he doesn't need much from anybody. But what we did was we did provide a lot of notes in that first book and then a little less in the second one. But, you know, regional dialects where we envision this guy being from and, you know, characteristics about him that might not be clear in the narrative. Um, so I do remember in the first book providing quite a bit of that, but to be honest, if you had not asked that question, I don't think I would have remembered doing that because now five, six books in, 
we just send the book off to the publisher and they send it to Ray and he nails it every time. But um, there are definitely are ways to uh, communicate with, with your narrator. Mostly the best way to do it is to make sure that there's specific things, dialects, et cetera, that you want in there. Uh, pronunciations, like you said, especially with heavy military acronyms and that sort of thing. Provide a lot of bullet notes up front for them so that you're not wasting their time having to re-record stuff and that. Well, yeah, because I think of like this thing that I was working on and the guy kept calling it the DD214. And I'm like, it's a DD214. And, <laughs> you know, right there, it, it just personified, you know, anybody knows what, you know, you know, what the discharge papers or the release code is, you know, yep. versus the DD214. And, you know, it just, there's a lot of times that things like that come in that show that it's not authentic. Well, and you should, yeah, certain, certain acronyms. it's going to be different for different narrators too. You know, if you're, as blessed as we are to get a guy of the caliber of Ray, he spends a tremendous amount of time. It's very evident when you hear his first read of your book, researching what he's doing. He doesn't leave anything to chance. He, if he sees something, he's not familiar with it. He doesn't just wing it and do as best he can. It's evident that he has spent hours and hours and hours of prep time researching what he's supposed to say, how he's supposed to say it. And so a guy like Ray needs almost nothing from the author. And I'm sure that there's a, a whole spectrum of narrators where you kind of almost want to read it to them first so that, so that they can get it right. Um, but if you get a really good professional who really does this for a living, you're probably not going to run into too much of that. Brian, you wanted to chime in something? I was just going to say, you're right. There, there are certain acronyms in the military that you say the letters and there's others that the acronyms turn into a word, you know? So, um, you know, you might not say, for for example, like special activities division, you would say the SAD instead of SAD, you know, but in another, in another acronym, you might actually turn it into a word. So it's right. just, yes, right. Skiff instead of SCIF. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, that sort of is this inside information, this street cred that we talked about. And, and somebody like Ray, he also, you know, we're not the only military thriller authors that he reads. So, you know, he, he's a pro, like Jeff said, and he knows, even though he hasn't served, to my knowledge, he hasn't served uh, in the military, he has read so many military thrillers that he, he's been to school, so to speak. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, we look at how many, you know, people that get involved in, in, you know, like a best selling novel, let's say, you know, like, what, which is your top selling novel between the two of you guys? Well, it's the all the books in the tier one series, the tier There's one, series. not one that's higher than the other. Um, they all do pretty well uh, over. Yeah, it's a they're consistent. Okay, so what they're what they're, these guys are talking about, the Tier 1 series has Tier 1, War Shadows, Crusader 1, American Operator, and Red Spectre, which is the new one out, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So right. when you guys come up with this concept, the Tier 1 was the first book. Did you have in mind that this would be a series and that there would be more things developing out of it? Was that part of your master plan? Yeah, absolutely. I think this was a this was a book clearly written as a series. And as a writer, of course, it's nice to know that in advance, right? I mean, there are certainly books that you write the book and it's does tremendously well and the publisher is like, oh, you know, you gotta do another book. And you can as a reader tell the difference between those two books 
and books where the authors have spent a tremendous amount of time and intentionality mapping out an arc for the plot and the characters and their relationships. And so from the very beginning in tier one, this was envisioned as a series. It was purchased by Thomas and Mercer as a series in a multi-book deal. Um, and so it gave us the luxury of writing it that way so that we knew where we wanted characters to go. We knew where we wanted storyline to go. Um, and it, it definitely is written differently. If you do it well, it's definitely different to write a series arc than it is just a simple book arc. But you have to have both, and that's a challenge. Brian? Um, the, the important thing about writing a series versus a standalone is you cannot reveal all your tricks and all the person's backstory all at once. Um, you can't, you can't leave, you can't, you can't dole it all out in the first book and leave nothing for, for later. And, you know, people like to get to know these characters, uh, over time. And, um, you know, one of the sort of analogies I could use is say, you know, if you met somebody, um, you know, for coffee for the first time, let's say it's just a blind date or you're meeting a colleague, you know, business colleague for the first time and you go to have coffee and, after introductions, this person just starts telling you their life story, you know, just everything, you know, where, you know, back from when they were born and all the good things that happened to them, all the bad things and why they did this and why they did that. You know, you'd say this is a little strange, a little uncomfortable. And uh, it's, it's almost the same in, um, in storytelling. You know, we don't, we don't give you a data dump background on every character, you know, for the first five pages that you meet them. It's just like meeting somebody in real, in real life. And so we sort of titrate over the course of the series, you know, uh, this character's backstory. Because you're not meeting them when they're born. You're meeting them just at a particular day in their life. And, and you're walking forward with them on their, on their journey and their time frame um, from that point forward. So it's, it's important, like Jeff said, that when you're thinking about this series, you have to think about, you know, where have they been? What have they lost? What have they lost? How are they going to change as the series goes forward? And what struggles are they going to have? And, and you don't want all those things to happen in just the first book. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, Jeff, when you guys plot this out, how do you guys plot it out? Do you come up with like a treatment or a plan? Do you, you know, use Excel spreadsheets? Like, you know, what does that look like? Um, you know, a little bit, there's a little bit of, you know, figuring out how the sausage is made. I'm not sure you want to see it, but it's a, I, we're professionals. Obviously we write, we, we create a tremendous volume of content in a year. So there is some organization. So, you know, take everything I say with a little bit of tongue in cheek, but we are not as structured as some authors. I know authors who map out the entire book, they outline the entire book, then they outline each individual chapter and then they write that chapter, then they outline the next chapter. And I have a lot of respect for people with that kind of discipline. But for, for me, and I think for Brian as well, we have to find a balance between enough structure, especially as co-authors, because we got to be on the same page as we're writing simultaneously, that the book will structure itself properly. But if we overstructure, it sort of, for me, inhibits the creativity. I tend to box myself in by the preconceptions of my outline, if you will. And so I need to leave it loose enough that the creative ideas that'll come to me in the moment, I feel like I'm free to go in that direction, give Brian a call and say, Hey, I just had this great idea. So we do map out the story for sure. 
that's actually one of the most fun parts of, of writing together as a team is having two people to say, oh, what if this happened and what if that happened? And you know, it would be really cool. And that process goes on throughout the writing. Um, and then we do take the book in three parts and each part we roughly outline, but we don't lock ourselves in quite as much as I think some writers do. Mm -hmm. So would you consider yourself pantsers or plotters? You know, we hear that term a lot in the writing industry. I think we're in the middle. I, I, and that sounds like, I mean, I know I'm hedging a little bit, but we're in the middle. When I write by myself, I'm a lot looser than when I write with Brian because he's, we have to have the structure because I, you know, if he's, if I go off on a tangent and he doesn't know about it, then he's wasted three days of his life writing stuff that no longer applies or vice versa. So we're required as co-authors to have a fair amount of structure. Uh, when I write by myself, it's a little looser, but I think when we write together and even individually, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. How about you, Brian? Yeah, no, I, I would, I would have said the exact same thing. I think we are in the middle and we have just enough structure so that like just said, we, can do division of labor and not duplicate work or not waste our time. But, you know, one of the things that um, is sort of fun to share or at least think about is the fact that, you know, these stories um, develop as you write them. So you, you do have an idea of where you want the story to go, but it's not until you put the characters in conflict with each other and characters start making moves and decisions that, you know, ideas flow. Right. It's like you can you could imagine, you know, um, building a house from scratch. You know, if you wanted to build your own custom house, you can imagine it. You can you can you can have the architect draw up plans. But it's not until you actually have to start building the thing that some of the, the problems, you know, appear. It's that sure. construction process that informs a lot of what's actually happening, you know, what's going to happen in the story. And so that's, that's a fun thing for us. I think that um, if we were to outline the entire book, like Jeff said, uh, we would feel constrained and we might not actually write as good of a book because uh, we might force ourselves down uh, some rabbit holes or into, into a cage, so to speak, where, where it's not as dramatic or exciting uh, as, as it would be if we sort of let the characters guide us. I, I think that's right. I'll add one other thing. It sounds a little trite and a little goofy. Um, maybe too artsy for two military <laughs> veterans, but there really is a real thing about characters sort of whispering in your ear and telling you that that's where they would go. I mean, you might have your idea in mind and halfway in, you really do feel these characters saying, dude, that would not, that's not what I would do at all. And, and you, and you shift course. So, you know, we try very hard for these characters to come to life for the readers, obviously as a writer, that's your whole goal, right? But I think readers need to understand they come to life for us, too. I mean, there are times when I sit down at the computer to, you know, craft out this chapter that maybe we've sort of a little loose on. Brian's not sure what, what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's working on something else. And it's exciting for me. It's sort of like that show you're binge watching. You're tuning in again because you want to find out what happens. Sometimes I sit at the computer because I just want to find out what happens because I don't know yet. But I know that as I write it's going to happen and the characters will inform me and it'll go off. There's nothing more fun than finishing it and calling Brian. And I know Brian, I know you don't have to admit this, but I know sometimes it's annoying. I'll be like, let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. Like, you know, like a sixth grader who just came home with an A plus, right? It's like, dude, listen to this, listen to this. It's really fun. I mean, it can be really, really fun when you allow yourself to 
have the characters come to life and take you on a journey. Um, and you're a little bit of a passenger on the, on the process. It's fun. So when you guys create compelling characters, do you guys talk about like what, you know, like, ah, oh, you know, I knew this guy or I knew this girl and, you know, they did this and they did that. And then, you know, it becomes a real person or do you, do you, um, do you just come up with this idea in your head and it evolves through the writing process? Both really. I mean, there, there are for sure. And we would never call out any names because uh, that would be terrible, but there are definitely some times where Brian and I will have a conversation. It's like, okay, so I knew this one dude, right. And he had this, he had this thing he did or whatever. And we write that into a, into a character. I think most of our characters are more amalgams of a variety of people that we've either known individually or collectively. But yeah, to be honest, there's a couple of them that it's like, yeah, that's that dude. And I don't know if they recognize themselves or not. Probably, probably not. not. It's because they're probably the, 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 the jerks or the... Right, that guy's know. like, well, that guy's a jerk, right? It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, bad news, dude. Yeah, I recognize myself in that character. She's the one that slept around with everybody. Whee! You know, yeah, no, I mean, we, <laughs> we don't, you know, we don't, we don't generally think of those things. Now, how did you guys prepare for this? You guys have really different educations. You know, your backgrounds, you know, you're like mine. You got a business degree. You know, these are not, like, you didn't get your master's in fine art. You didn't go to, you know, school to learn how to write these things. What did you guys do to supplement your education as you have your writing experience? And what do you do to continually improve your writing skills? I, I think that anybody of any age can be a storyteller. I mean, I think storytelling is an essential part of our human condition. Um, but I will say that I do think the more life experience you have, uh, the opportunity to be a better storyteller uh, mm -hmm. is, is present, right? So I think Jeff and I have both been writing uh, our whole lives and, and are good verbal storytellers. You know, I, I always tell people that the reason I started this is because when I was in the Navy, you know, there were times where I had time to kill, you know, in between operations or missions. And, and, and sometimes you'd be on watch and you would kill those six hours and by telling stories to each other. And, and, you know, when people said, Hey, you're, you're a good storyteller. Mm -hmm. And this is a verbal storyteller. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And that, that sort of pushed me into this into this career. But I think that it's, it's the in interaction with many different types of people with different education levels and professional skills and ethnicities and religious backgrounds and genders and motives. You know, once you've been in conflict and you've been in the military or you've been in business and you've seen uh, the best and worst of people, right? It's the best and worst of people that informs a lot of the characters in our books because what we're doing is sort of dr dramatizing you know real life i yeah. think the only thing I, I would add to that is that um I, I agree with everything i think that life experience is the best way to learn how to write right um in fact if you look at the top thriller writers out there today there's not a lot of guys who are formally educated in writing most of them have been lawyers and doctors and military officers yes. and a variety of things. And that experience informs their writing. But the one thing that all of them have in common, and I imagine there's not a single exception to this, is they're all voracious readers. Mm -hmm. I think that 
you read voraciously, you live life, and then you're able to tell a story in a, in a professional way. So you were talking about how you develop the craft of writing, I think. Sure. And I think that's how you do it. I think that, that you emulate the styles of the people that you learn from by reading their work. Uh, and then we do um, spend a lot of time at, you know, conferences. We go to a couple conferences a year. You know, now we're, we're presenting at these conferences and we're, we're on panels and stuff. But you're always learning from your fellow writers. All of us hang out together. We know each other. We correspond with each other. Um, and so you learn a lot that way as well. Well, and I think, you know, it's always amazing to me when I, when I get somebody that comes to me for an interview and they're presented to me by a publishing house or maybe a publicity company, and they, I ask them, you know, well, how many other books have you written? None. Oh, okay. Well, what do you like to read? What do you like to talk about? Me, I don't really read. And I mean, it's amazing how many people say that. And then I get their book and I go, okay. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> don't read. You don't listen to audio books. You know, and for somebody, you know, I think those are the ego writers. You know, they think that just everything that spills from their lips is, is you know, prose and Shakespeare. But how much time do you guys spend writing versus rewriting versus editing? Like that, you know, because I always, everything I do, I write it once and then I have to like rewrite it, edit it like 50 times. Like it's more, there's more work on the writing and on the editing and processing end than there is at the actual creative writing. Yeah, yeah we try to embrace the expression, all writing is rewriting. And I think for us that has, you know, at least for me in particular, um, that has really helped me become a better writer to say, you know, what I write as a first draft is just a first draft. Mm -hmm. Everything is open to change. And once you embrace that, you can be very, not self-critical in a negative way, I mean self-critical in a very positive way where you can look at, um, you know, a chapter or a series of chapters and say, okay, you know, what can we do now? This is a great start, but what can we do now to add more suspense, more conflict, more drama, make the reader squirm in his or her seat when they're reading this? Um, because there's always opportunities to improve every sequence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, I always tell people a good book is like layered cheese dip because, <laughs> you know, you write this thing, you put like, you know, there's the salsa and then there's the cheese and then there's the cilantro. Then you might have chicken, you know, and all those layers that come on. You know, each time you rewrite it, your characters get more depth. Your plot gets, I mean, if you, if you, if you're being mindful as you write, but I want to talk to the, the new writers that are listening to our broadcast today, because I think many of them get their feelings hurt that their first pass out of the block sucks. Well, you know what? Most of them do. And, you know, it's like a cheese dip that has only salsa. Like that's not a cheese dip. I want beans and rice and, you know, onions, the whole thing. So it is a process. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, the, um, the process, can there's no shortcuts, right? You absolutely want to make your story come to life in that first draft so that you have the skeleton on which you can then build. Um, but I, I think that Brian's statement is, is the best one, like all writing is rewriting. Um, if we have never published a single book that was our first draft, that's for sure. Now our 
the, the efficiency with which we rewrite, the efficiency with which we edit has definitely improved over time, partly because, you know, we've been working together longer. We have a developmental editor named uh, Caitlin Alexander, who's incredible. She's part of our team on all these books. And so the three of us now sort of know each other. So there's no question that the timeline has shortened. I mean, the rough draft takes how long a rough draft takes. The editing is smoother and faster now because we know what we can do with it and how to work as a team. But if you think that your rough draft, no matter how good you are, is going to be what's going to be on a bookshelf one day, then you don't understand the process. That's for sure. Well, I think it's really important that people recognize the process and why it takes sometimes a year for a book or two years for a book to get finished. Well, we don't have that luxury anymore, but, (laughs) 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 but uh, yeah. Somebody says their first book took them two years. Realistically, how many authors just write? Very few. You know, we all have careers. We all do other things. We have kids. We have families. You know, we're not just sitting around contemplating our novel. And I think that when there's, especially in beginner writers, and this is kind of geared towards more beginner writers, they need to leave their manuscript on the shelf for a couple months or at least a month and take a step away from it. So they can have that perspective coming back because they don't have made, I mean, don't have a writing partner or certainly don't have a developmental editor, an agent or a publicist or somebody that's going to help with this process. Um, So I think it is, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable for a year for a new writer to take a year to write a book. Oh, I I agree. I I agree completely. And there's no question the rereading something that boy, that's a real thing. I mean, you write this brilliant prose and put it in a drawer for a month. It's amazing what happens to it. I don't know who comes in and changes it, but when you read it, it's not as good as you remembered it. So um, I think that's a real thing. You do need to step away and and be a little more objective. So you're not just hearing what you think you wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, So for a new writer, I think that's a very, very good uh, advice to give for sure. Brian, what were you going to say? I was going to, I agree with you. I think, you know, and if you're a new writer and you don't have, you know, don't, don't spend your money hiring an editor when you don't have a publishing contract, that's money you might never make back. So instead find a trusted beta reader. And this is somebody, you know, preferably maybe you can find two, you know, someone of a, of the, of a different gender and someone with different life experience or different age than you, somebody that you trust uh, to be candid. And I think that's important when you, if you're a new writer, you have to set the ground rules with this beta reader. Say, you know, I'm looking for help. I'm looking for insight and input. And I want you to be candid with me. And you're not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, because if you get, if, if, they, if they're worried that they're going to hurt your feelings or they can't tell you the whole truth, um, you're not going to get feedback that's worth anything for changing, you know, for growing as a writer. And this, this, input this beta read um that's what really is gonna if, if you can accept that the, those comments and that criticism uh, that's going to help you t- take your writing to the next level and it's definitely going to prepare you for your editor because they're going to tell you the truth i promise you sure. yeah. <laughs> well and let's talk about the team that goes on you know with publishing you know a book with it with a traditional publisher this isn't for the self-published, you know, the books that I've worked on, you know, we have legal department, we have, you know, editors, we have the agent input, we might have the sales department at the publishing house, their input. I mean, there's so many people that get their hands in your book in some way, somehow, 
I mean, what do you guys roughly think, you know, 25 people per book? Oh, yeah. By the time you look at everything, I mean, just yeah. the editing process alone, you know, we've got me and Brian and then we do our own edits. Then we have our developmental editor. We have a line editor. We have actually two line editors uh, that we work with now. We have a copy editor. And then, as you said, you've got marketing people, promotion people. They're working on, you know, front and back matter. And they've got questions. You've got a cover artist and they want to understand what your themes are so they can incorporate them. And it goes on and on and on. Yeah. At least, at least a dozen people in any, in any house are going to have some sort of say or input into your, into your work. And that's good. Like teamwork works. Like you want to have all that input. You want to have a lot of uh, good people that you trust um, working together to make the product as, as perfect as it can be. Now, what's a typical turnaround time for you guys for a, for a first draft? Just so people can have an idea of what, what, you know, what does your day look like? I mean, our day, so we're both writing full time. So that's awesome. So that helps. And so we're definitely both writing several hours a day. And then of course there's the business side of writing. So we got to both individually and together, spend a little time on that talking about new deals. We have social media you have to do when a book comes out, you've got appearances, but on average day when we're working on a project where we're actually physically writing at least several hours every single day, um, and I don't think it's fair for a new writer to look at us and say, and, and hear this number that I'm going to share and go, that should be me because two things, one, we've been doing it a while, but two, there's two of us. And because we write in, in parallel, it really makes it very efficient. And so now we can turn from, uh, you know, from first idea to uh, rough draft that still has lots of editing to do a completed rough draft manuscript is, you know, three months or so, three to four months. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think it's, you know, realistic. I was at a panel the other day and somebody says you should have your, you know, it's that whatever, write no mo, name whatever that month long thing is. And they're like, yeah, you should have a month long, you know, whatever, write fest and have 60,000 or 120,000 words. And I'm like, you know, I could print that out of my printer. It's not going to mean much, but you know, for two people, putting together something that takes three months for a rough draft working, you know, at least four or five hours a day, that kind of gives you the math of going how, how reasonable it is for somebody to crank out a book in a month. Not reasonable. Right. right. Not reasonable. Brian, how about you? What, what, what does your day look like, you know, as a writer? Yeah, you know, I try to write in the morning. Um, I, I feel like, at my current age, maybe when I was younger, you know, I did a lot of writing uh, in in the evening after, you know, sometimes would stay up really, really late. I'm just not as uh, productive now late at night. So the morning seems to be when I'm the most alert. And, you know, the key, uh, I think, for every writer is just to avoid distraction, you know, so that you can really get into what you're doing. And it's there's more distractions than ever in today's world. We've got social media, we've got people texting us, we've got phone calls, we've got, you know, our, you know, we've got our, um, all of our push notifications, for goodness sake, that are coming in, you know, from every list that you subscribe to and the like. So it, you know, it's, if you're writing on a computer, you got to find a way to turn that phone off. And, you know, I, I sometimes joke around with Jeff, I'm like, I'm going to go deep, you know, to use a submarine um, term. I'm going deep because when you were deep on a submarine, you're underwater. 
the world was left behind. You know, you're not communicating with anybody. You're just doing your job. So I think, you know, you can take that submarine metaphor and any writer can adopt it and say, okay, well, I'm going to go deep for two hours and I'm going to turn off my phone or at least turn it upside down so I can't see it. And I'm going to just focus on writing because, you know, it takes at least for me 10 to 15 minutes to sort of start getting into what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get distracted with phone call or text or something, um, I'm out of it. Now I got to get back into it again. So there's a, there's an important element of discipline. And I think that's an area where I can get better, you know, and I'd like to get better. I think every writer, the more disciplined you are, the more you, you habituate your writing, put some structure and habituate your, the way you write, you'll be more productive. Well, and I like to think of it, you know, because I, I, I work a lot from home. I do have an office, but a lot of times, you know, I want to be home when my kids are home from school. Even if I'm just working in my home office, it's different. You know, no, nobody likes to go home to an empty home. And, but what I found is that I need to set up guardrails for myself, just like we have guardrails that keep you from going off the road. I have guardrails in my business and some of the guardrails in my business is that, you know, my phone can be on, but I have to turn it upside down and I don't have any vibration notifications because, you know, I'm not a brain surgeon and there's nothing falling apart so much that I have to be available to somebody 24 seven, seven days a week. And, you know, my kids, when they come home, they come in, they say hi, and then they have to go like love my children, but they can't, you know, they can tell me about their day, but there's a finite to that. And if I'm on deadline, um, whether it's for a written work or an audio or a video job, I will actually go to a hotel, you guys. I will go rent a hotel. I usually like to go out to Ventura Beach and, you know, a hundred bucks a night. I will rent that hotel for three or four days and I will go there. And the only thing I bring is my computer and I don't, unless I need to be connected to the internet, you know, and my phone and it goes away. I make sure my kids are cared for. I mean, we have to concentrate. And it's very, very hard, I think, for many of us, especially working from home with small children. In my case, I have no spouse. So, you know, the kids come in willy-nilly. I can't get anything done. So I don't think it's unreasonable for people to take a time out in their life if they have a deadline. And that's, I, I end up going to a hotel. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Though. You have to have those guardrails. You have to have... Um, a system in place without a system, you're just a leaf tumbling around in the wind. You know, you're just going wherever the winds are blowing you. So I think you have to do that. You have to have some system in place that allows you to create some structure. And, um, you know, I, I read a great book called atomic habits by James clear. And I, I think that, you know, he talks about the fact that habits are better than discipline you know like you can use your will but we think if we have enough willpower we can do anything we want and there's a lot of truth to that but if you set up productive habits for yourself you're not going to deplete your willpower as quickly because you've now gotten yourself halfway there it doesn't take all that willpower you've you created a system for yourself where one action reinforces the next 
and creates that behavior that you want to accomplish. And creates momentum. I'm a big fan of James Clear and his Atomic Habits. I actually have it here on my phone. It's five hours and 35 minutes of your life. You can listen to it on Audible. Great book. Um, I'm going to close out the show, guys. But before I do, I want to ask you guys, what is your best piece of advice for a new writer who's listening to today's show? Who wants to go first, Jeff or Brian? I'll go first. I think the best advice is uh, keep writing. So if you have a project that you believe in, you know, everyone's heard the thousand stories of people that submitted a hundred times and, um, you know, they eventually found the right timing or the right agent or the right editor. And those things are true and real. So if you believe in your project, then you should definitely continue on. But I think that um, you can't stop writing just because you finished that draft. I think that's a mistake that we see a lot. Uh, Brian and I encounter quite frequently nowadays is they've written this thing and they're like, I was told never to give up. And so I'm just going to keep. And so for years, they just keep pitching that same book. And you'll be like, well, what else are you working on? They'll be like, well, I'm working on selling my book. It's like, you could have written three more books during that. Maybe one of those will sell. So no matter what you do, I'm not saying you should abandon a project if it doesn't sell in 30 days. That's not what I'm saying. Continue to pitch, continue to try to find an agent or an editor but in the meantime, if you're a writer, you're writing. Writers write. And so you need to continue to always write because every book you write is better than the last book you wrote. And that never stops being true. That's right. That's right. Brian, go ahead. I, I, I love what he said. He stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> Once again. That's why he went first. Took, took one. Um, no, I think he, he's right on uh, with that. And I think, you know, maybe... Um, you know, a follow on piece of advice is that when you're writing, um, pay attention to what other people in the industry are doing. Uh, well, you know, there's a reason, there's a reason why successful authors are successful because they tell really good stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not by accident. These people have studied the art of storytelling. They understand their craft. And so, you know, there's, like Jeff said uh, earlier, you know, the best writers are voracious readers. So get out there and, and listen to these other authors' audiobooks, buy their books, read them, find out what did they do that was so, that sucked you in. If you feel yourself thinking about that book, until you can pick it back up again, that's because that writer is telling a good story. So try to figure out what that writer is doing and then incorporate those, those techniques and those elements into your own storytelling to take it to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're going to want to check out these guys at Andrews with an S dash Wilson.com. You're going to want to check out their books. They are the number one Amazon best-selling series that half a million readers love. Tier One, War Shadows, Crusader One, American Operator, and Red Spectre. These guys also have the Sons of War. Uh, and those are, uh, that's the new series, right, for 2020? Yeah, well, that's the first book comes out actually next year. 2021 will be the first book in that series. Awesome. So we're going to look forward to that. We'll have you guys back. Um, thank you so much for being my guest today. You guys go ahead and download their books from Audible. You'll be glad you did. Get a hard copy too, because I'll tell you, they really pass the time on an airplane or in a hospital bed. We'll see you back again next week. 
On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.